listening to the KPMG Insights for Entrepreneurs series. I'm Ian Kyo. And in this episode, we're talking to Donna Quigley, the founder and chief executive of the Handmade Soap Company. Donna, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for having us, Ian. Now, Donna, we're going to talk about lots of things over the space of the next 20 minutes, your international expansion, opening a physical shop. We're going to talk about the fact you've won the KPMG Private Enterprise Late Late Show Bursary Award. But what I want to talk about first is you. Because rarely have I come across an entrepreneur with a backstory quite like yours. Because normally when you ask someone, what did you do before you set up their business? You talk about, they go to the, you know, the Smurf of Business School. Uh, they've worked in management consultancy or whatever else. You did something entirely different. Yeah. How far back do you want to start, Ian? Well, talk, um, to, me about, talk to me about being a Thatcher for a start. Yeah, so immediately before I set up the handmade soap company, I was thatching roofs. But actually, I got one or two jobs just before that. Um, so I played a lot of played a lot of music in my twenties professionally, and uh, mostly around dealing pipes, but a few other instruments, banjos and whistles, and all this. And I spent a lot of time traveling around Europe in the back of transit vans, which sounds very exotic and romantic, and it is for a short period of time. But then it started to run its course, and then. I, during my 20s, I did a few things, but my family live in Australia and I ended up back there for a period of time, worked on a prawn trawlers, saved a nice bit of money and came back and I bought a barge and I lived on the canal around the 10, or sorry, the 12th lock just in Blanchardstown in, in behind the M50 roundabout there. And it was around that time, it was actually doing a gig, I met the girl I'm now married to, Gemma, and the barge quickly became too small for two of us. It was absolutely ideal for one of us and a little bit pokey for two of us. So around that time, I got offered a touch and traineeship and with a bit of a nudge from my better half and just the realisation that I probably had to do something a bit different, um, I, I, I took the touching traineeship, did that, went out by myself for a few years and, and absolutely loved it. Like loved it to my bones because it, it, it just covered so many things. It was craft, it was sculptural, it was outside working in the elements. We, we grew all our own uh, straw and it really felt like we were, we were creating something that lasted for a while and gave, gave a great amount of satisfaction to, to both me and, and the, the person whose house it belonged to. And so you did that for a number of years and then the recession hits and I suppose we had a property crisis and all of this that forced you to reassess what you wanted to do and where you wanted to be I suppose. Yeah so it was a combination of two things there was the recession but around that time and um, I don't know if you remember there were three summers that it really was like the, the, the biblical flood it was we lost the harvest three years in a row and those two things combined really forced my hand and I was like, okay, what, what, what's going on here? What are we doing? Um, so the next venture, I didn't really have too much of a brief worked out in my head. I did know a few things. I wanted to be able to make it myself. I'd always created stuff in my hands for whatever reason. And there was no logic behind it other than a feeling in, in, in my gut somewhere that I wanted it to be scalable. And the final uh, thing it had to be was a positive product. And by that, I meant something that everyone got a benefit out of. What that was at that time, I wasn't sure. But around that time, I was actually back visiting my family in Australia. And it was at a little market there that uh, we just bought some handmade soap. Now, 
particularly with the thatching and working outside, but I'd always suffered from a bit of dry skin, but it was, it was particularly bad at this time from, from all the working outdoors. Use this handmade soap and previously any kind of, you know, mass produced commercial soaps, I always found rather abrasive on my skin and this handmade soap was beautiful and it just left my skin feeling, feeling lovely. And it was just a bit of a light bulb moment. And I thought there was something in that. So um, that sowed the seed. But how, how does it go from that, right? So I get it, right? You've, you know, you've been a Thatcher, you've done, you've been a, uh, an Irish musician, you played deal and pipes. But that thing, that genesis of saying, I want to do soap, mm-hmm. how do you make it a reality? Um, well, look, it was probably a long six month process and a few other things were happening, but I'll try to condense it. Basically, when we returned from that trip, I just said, OK, I'm going to going to try make this and see if there's anything in it, first of all. So it was literally two pots in the kitchen um, did, did a bit of research, bought a few books. Uh, they told me the books told me it was equal part alchemy equal part chemistry and equal part cooking and that kind of resonated with me I really liked that room to play around a bit and through a few various experiments in the kitchen ended up with a product and went okay this is pretty good let's see where this goes so so there's a bit of trial and error in the kitchen I actually used the last of my earnings from thatching to fly to the UK I studied with a woman over there called Melinda Cost who wrote a book called The Handmade Soap Book which was the iconic kind of craft soap book at the time and I also happened to be in the US around that time and I studied with a lady over there called Marla Bosworth who had a company called The Back Porch Soap Company. So between all them and finally being able to make a product where I kind of went, okay, this looks good. I'd be happy to put a name to this. We were ready to really trial in a couple of farmers markets the very end of 2009. At the, at the, height, of, at the height of the recession, in the, in the teeth of yeah. the recession. And how do, you, how do you go now? If people are listening, they'll, you'll realize like you employ now 65, 70 people. How does it go from that phase of that, Donna, at a farmer's market yeah. to having a really significant business. I mean, was, was there various steps along that process? There was, and and a few were kind of really steep and then it might've plateaued for a year and then really steep jumps. But initially, so we, we, we try, I tried the farmer's markets in December, 2009, and I realized within two or three days that this wasn't a business that, um, you know, you, you were going to have to sell a lot of soap at a lot of farmers markets to make these numbers add up. So our next trip out was Showcase, uh, which is a trade show in the ODS that's held every January. And it's where all the shops go to do their shopping. So the likes of Avoca and Carrick Dunn and that. That was pivotal, pivotal in that we, we took some, what were for us at the time, very, very chunky orders the first couple of days. But to say we were naive is an understatement. We had no idea what a wholesale margin was. We were going in with different price lists every day because we were talking to the people around us and going, what should we be charging for this, that, the other. Um, but anyway, we, we, I realized, okay, there's, there's something here. There's a kernel here. I'm not sure what it is. Um, so then I went to a local enterprise uh, board to no avail at that time, uh, but begged, borrowed and stole, uh, not stole, but begged and borrowed uh, 15,000 euro in around January, February, 2010. And I used that Coca-Cola and draw that I'd shut down at that time. So yeah. I bought a couple of vats out of there, uh, did a bit of <laughs> welding and modified those vats a bit. 
rented a little small workshop in the village of Kells, which was living. When I say small workshop, it used to be a barber shop. So uh, we just cleaned it out, put the bathroom Coca-Cola in. I trained a couple of lads how to make soap. And I literally spent the first year on the road traveling around Ireland in the transit van. I was that absolute cliche carpetbag salesman. You know, I just had the samples in the van, staying in B&Bs, calling on kind of nice gift shops around the country. And that's, that's, they were the foundations of the brand that really hold true today. And what I mean by that is I still know the people who own the gift shops that I called on that first year and they're still customers of ours. And, you know, I always go back to that 300 drops make a bucket. And that first year really set the seeds for the next few years. Now, the next few years went kind of fast forward and we added new products to the range. It grew organically. And probably about year four or five in, it was like, okay, we have a bit of him monster here with tentacles everywhere and what is it and then it, we, we just kind of try to take a step back streamline the brand all this kind of brand speak stuff that I didn't really understand at the time what are we trying to say what are we trying to communicate you know what's the message we're trying to get across and we knew this stuff intuitively and that was ultimately we just wanted to put a smile on people's face but we had no vocabulary around it or no design around it or stuff like that that would be and, and that's 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 really interesting. I think it's lovely going around and get to meet your customers in that in that first phase. But did you need to put in place a corporate structure around it, John, to make sure? I mean, as you were scaling up and you're hiring more people, I mean, it's one thing being at a farmer's market or running around the Ford Transit, but to put in place a proper infrastructure around your business is another thing. Yeah, I'm probably still only learning what a corporate structure is. Now, I, I might be selling myself a bit short there. I think I mean, you might be. I think you might be. We, We've, we've, we've a great leadership team. In fact, I'd say I have a world-class leadership team. I have a world-class entire team, but our leadership team are, are, are phenomenal. And, but it, I don't want to sound like a, we've worked hard. I don't want to sound like it hasn't been deliberate. We've worked very, very hard. But through that hard work, I think we attracted the kind of people who were a good fit for our company. Now, I haven't said that. We had a lot of the pieces of, on play on the board over the last 24 months. Like we knew we were looking at international expansion and we knew we were trying to improve our marketing communications and our operations and our internal stuff. So we were, we were gathering all these really, really cool people together. And then this year, you know, we had a surreal experience in that uh, our product was just in very high demand. So, so, so volumes went through the roof, but that whole experience gelled these people on the board together so that by the end of 2020 we just had a management meeting today we have a weekly management meeting in the office because we still have people working remotely and all that kind of stuff and, and I'm looking around me thinking these are just a world-class team and part, part of me is going how did this happen and the other part of me is kind of going this is pretty cool you know? so it started it starts great it started off you're doing farmers markets how many countries are you export? Just give me, give us a sense of the scale of what of what's happened over that ten years. Yeah, so meaningfully, uh, it would be very easy for me to say we're exporting to twenty countries, but meaningfully, we export to the UK. It's our biggest market outside Ireland. The, the well, US is probably taken over now. We we we've good distribution in Switzerland, Germany, Sweden, and then we probably send to to private customers in a lot of countries, but. They're the main countries for export. And Susan, I want to come to your shop in a moment, but before I want to do that, it's like, so you have this business, COVID-19 has impacted every business out there. Has it been yeah. good or bad for yourselves? It's been good. Very good. Yeah. 
how how is that? And, and I'm not trying to say, oh, lots of people are were better than everyone else, but what's been the genesis? Has it driven online traffic? Where is it? Where is it? Where has it worked for you? Yeah, so a few things happened. So uh, we were ready to close the doors on March the 13th, I think it was, because all of our retail partners, we said, so our core business would be, we, we make the product and supply to the likes of Avoca, Kilkenny, Carrickdown. And then we also had a really nice hotel business where we supplied to really yeah. nice hotels around the country. So they all closed down. So we'd know where to sell our product to. Now, we always had a, a really strong website, but, you know, it, it, our core business was still a, uh, sending out to other people. So th th that, that was going on March the 13th, but parallel to that, we'd always made a, cl an, a cleaning alcohol solution down the factory, a form of a sanitizer. We, we, had, a, we had an inkling, we, we heard whispers along the supply chain that things were coming in, in relation to demand for hand sanitizer. So we were looking at this kind of in February, we had supply of uh, alcohol, which was the the, the, the the biggest ingredient in it. And we, because of our hotel business, we had plenty, we had a warehouse of little bottles lying around the place. So anyway, we went live with a hand sanitizer on March the 17th. Something strange happened that we just couldn't have predicted for. It was just a particular moment in time where there was none of this product in the country and we had it. So demand went through the roof. So in the space of about seven days, we, 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 we pretty much did on our website what we did for the whole year of 2019 so it was just wow. bizarre yeah it's crazy and then we had to spend the next six weeks working 18 hours a day to fulfill all those orders and all that fun stuff after but we, you know we just thought that was a moment in time and that was fine but then in april it changed again and our biggest selling item then was gift boxes because it was all the new people who came into our ecosystem loved the product and then they couldn't visit loved ones nearest and dearest because lockdown so they were ordering gift boxes and we'd ship them out to nearest and dearest with a personal message so that was huge and we've just kept this really elevated run rate all year so yes it's it's moved very strongly online but we keep wondering when this is going to slow down and it, it just doesn't you know and, and for a while i felt guilty about it but look we just didn't we didn't create the situation all we can do is deliver the best product we can in the nicest packaging we can and that's what we're doing and that seems to be what is bringing people back i think that's i think that's super and listen in the last week or two you've also opened up a new shop just yeah. off grafton street the, the the main thoroughfare in dublin uh what was the genesis behind that and how's it going for you yeah it's been going really 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 well it's kind of fulfillment of a lifelong not a lifelong dream but a dream as far uh, ever ever since the company's been in existence um, I would have loved to do it last year or even the year before but obviously because retail is in such a state of flux we were able to get a fairly uh, opportune location and, and an arrangement on the red but fundamentally it's an expression of stuff I've uh, believed in retail for a while so that is two things I think there's going to be the rise of the independent retail store and I, I genuinely believe that that's going to happen over the next few years so we want to be part of that but then the experiential experiential retail ex and and 
and the, the, the theater of retail and the celebration of craftsmanship. And what I mean by that is the front half of the shop is devoted to our product, but the back half of the shop is us making the product on full and people can people can see that, don't they? They can, they can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you walk in, it's all open and you can see us actually making product. It's a bit like a, the idea was a bakery for the skin where you see us making out the back, the smell, the aroma of the essential oils we use, basically flow down the street. We uh, lift up the products as we make them, lift them around, put them on the shelves at the front, and you can wow. choose your product in there. No, that's, that's really, so what does, listen, what does the future hold? Is it more online sales? Is it more diversification into different product lines? And we said it's soap, but it's lots more than soap, and it's lots more than hand sanitizers. It's, you know, everything you might need from skincare to beauty care and whatever else. But what does the future hold for you and for the business? So we have just launched a new range. It's called Anum. Um, it's pushing the edge of green technology that, that, that is available for our product type uh, at the minute on the market. So specifically what I mean by that is part of this range, there's um, beautiful glass bottles. They're 500 ml smoked amber etch bottles. These things look gorgeous. The idea is you keep those and we send you out a compostable refill when the bottles are empty. So. This fits through your letterbox. It's got your 500 ml refill hand wash. You, you top up your bottle and then you throw the packaging in the food waste. That's brand new technology. It's been a couple of years in the development. It's around, been around for dry foods for a while, but soap is slightly acidic, slightly corrosive. So it's only just become available now. So we're really, really excited about that. And we have a few other projects like that where we're just trying to push the boundaries of green technology and the closed loop packaging and all that. And that's the a point, though, sorry, not to cut across you, but that, that's a point about sustainability is a, is a key part of your business. In, in terms of, you know, you you're, you produce most of your own electricity from water turbines and stuff. And I think it's, it's this kind of more ethical capitalism, I think, that seems to be driving itself through. Yeah, profit with purpose. You know, we've always been following a triple bottom line philosophy for a number of years. People, planet, profit. People fundamentally ensuring the, 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 the culture and you know, be mindful of the mental health and, and just the feel of the factory. I, I believe as an employer, I have a responsibility for the quality of time for the people who, who come into our factory. So it starts with that, but carries out to our relationships with our suppliers and our end users and every touch point being as positive as possible. Planet, uh, just being mindful of every impact, every decision we have. So like that, we use um, a turbine from the river for our green energy. We shred all our inbound packaging and use that for all our outbound packaging in the boxes. And profit really is just that the business has to make sense so that you can do all the nice green technology stuff. No, it's great. And obviously I, I mentioned at the start, uh, the KPMG Private Enterprise Late Late Show Bursary winner, Obviously, you're going to be working with KPMG now in terms of scaling and expanding the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, we were privileged to win it. Very grateful, very humbled on the night. And we, the, the bursary is going to help us really drive on on this green sustainability journey. And our big focus for next year is really uh, building on the solid base we have in the US. So the, as soon as we can get traveling again, which is looking a lot more hopeful than it was a couple of months ago, uh, we, we'll be over there expanding that market. Well, Donna Quigley, thank you very much for joining me here today. And we wish you and your business the very best of success going forward. Thanks very much. And thanks for the opportunity. Mm -hmm.